Welcome back to Album Club 500, the show where we review the Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 albums of all time. I am the Star Child, the Demon, the Spaceman slash Space Ace, and the Catman, Jacob Schatz. And I'll have a quesadilla. Haha. <laughs> I'm 27, and today we're reviewing Trace Hombres by ZZ Top and Destroya by Kiss. The 1973 and 1975 very seminal albums by these two classic rock bands that your dads probably like a lot. <laughs> Just statistically speaking, that's... That's a very safe bet, I'd, I'd say. Right. <laughs> Let's start off with Trice Hombres. So my experience with ZZ Top is mostly the song LaGrange and legs and sharp dressed man and you know those big radio hits they have right all of the singles there's a a few there's a few for me it's sharp dressed man lagrange tush give me all your lovin tush yeah forgot that one that's a pretty good song right that's pretty okay like a lot of zz top songs are this is pretty okay yeah it's like it's like sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right (laughs) this album has a bunch of songs that i that I've never heard before because they're album cuts and there's only one big single on this one, which is LaGrange. And, you know, I, I like LaGrange enough. Like, I think it was one of my more liked ZZ Top songs because I've just never been a fan, but I never disliked them. You know, they're just kind of one of those classic rock bands that they're like one of the, you know, they're one of those ones, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> ZZ Top... It occupies a little bit of a weird space because the vast majority of the songs that I know about them are the arena rock kind of staples, like Sharp Dressed Men, like yeah. the, the stuff that has this really big build up and then their chorus and then just sort of blasts out. And it's, yeah. it, they're not, they're poppy, they're pop rock, blues rock type deals, which is, mm. which is kind of weird, except for LaGrange, yeah. which is way more bluesy, way more twangy. Not quite in the space of country. Some of the songs on this get a little bit more towards country, but a lot earthier than their later stuff. Yeah, for sure. And and when later on in the list, there's their album Eliminator, which is, I think, almost exactly a hundred spaces ahead of this one, Trace Hombres. Yeah. Uh, And that has Sharp Dressed Man, and that is a lot more in the style that they were more popular for. Yeah, um, they definitely have, like, two eras i think not that i'm a zz top expert or anything but this seems more like jamming you know yeah more more freeform-ish kind of blues rock than constructed radio-friendly pop totally yeah there's a lot of space where billy gibbons lead vocalist and lead guitarist gets to shred in spaces on this album Right. And we should talk about the three members of this power trio. Yes, let's. We got Billy Gibbons, the renowned quesadilla man from the Nickelback <laughs> song Rockstar, which is what he's most known for. Yes, his biggest claim to fame. <laughs> his biggest, the, the, what put him on the map in 2004 <laughs> or whatever the heck. <laughs> There's also Dusty Hill, who is rhythm guitarist and also pulls lead vocals on some of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And then Frank Beard, who is the drummer, and I love Frank Beard's name so much. <laughs> yes, the classic ZZ Top joke. Because he is the only member of the band that does not have a beard, and the other <laughs> two have beards that go down to their goddamn waistlines. <laughs> yes, it, it's the best. 
Oh, it's so good. And the kind of cool thing is on these early albums, and I don't know about later, but I mean, I imagine they might have kept it up. But if you look at the the personnel listing on these on this album, it is just the three of them. There's no session musicians or anyone else they brought in, and it, it kind of gives it this really down to earth home feeling. Yeah, exactly. Billy Gibbons is listed as writing credit on every single track. Dusty Hill comes in on all but two tracks, and then Frank Beard gets four out of these ten tracks. So, every member of the band is contributing to a good number of the songs on this album. And it shows, it. they all feel personal and real, for lack of a better word. Yeah, for sure. It's It's definitely... A personal thing like they were they were having fun with this too like this isn't like trying to make radio hits like this is just playing the blues rock for funsies and it happened yeah. to have a, a bit of a mass appeal and become really famous which is cool that said i'm not really a fan of this album i didn't enjoy it that much <laughs> yeah uh it i i described both of the albums we're listening to this week as mercifully short <laughs> That's true. They both clock in at around 30 minutes, which is really nice and especially fortunate for people like us who are reviewing it. (laughs) Yes, that was very handy. I didn't have to listen to this for very long like I was afraid. (laughs) (laughs) It's not bad either. Like, so, so obviously my subjective opinion, I just didn't. nothing on it really grabbed me and the only song i really like remember from it like i listened to this thing like four times like four and a half times and i like i remember beer drinkers and hellraisers i i like that one and i like lagrange i mean i remember some of the other riffs like i remember waiting for the bus because it's like the first track it's your first impression um but i didn't that's, I didn't really like it that much. and I can totally understand that. I think LaGrange is definitely the biggest standout moment on the album. Yeah. Partly because I had heard it before, but like when I got to LaGrange, something clicked in my head. And it was like, this is like a fundamentally different level of quality yeah. to the other songs on this album. I don't think any of the songs on this album are real bad. I just think that a lot of them stray a little too close to just being okay. And I, for my part, I did, I like this album quite a bit. It's not my most favorite thing, but I I liked it. The vocal style on this album, it, it's very different from the later ZZ Top style on songs like Sharp Dressed Man, where it's very kind of clean cut, just, you know, rock vocals. And this one, he has, Billy Gibbons has like this weird, like nasally, I don't even know how to, it's like this cartoonish like muppet voice like (laughs) yes yeah so billy gibbons his style on this one is most apparent on lagrange but it's almost like not as intrusive because lagrange is more of a character song it's yeah we'll get to it but it's a song about a place right he forces his voice down in the back of his throat more often so where this this is my standard speaking voice if i push it back into my throat that's, yeah. This is kind of the sound. And it's not as bad, especially when you get into, into like, musically, it kind of throws it around. But it is super distracting if you don't like that style. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, we were talking before the podcast, I, I, I talk a big thing about how I like non-conventional vocal styles. I like weird mm-hmm. voices and stuff. But for some reason, this one just doesn't, like, it, it just 
gets to me, you know? (laughs) It's so funny to me that this is happening because (laughs) so much more often I, like, this is very much going to be an outlier because a lot more times I'm going to be like, I can't stand this weird voice. And you're going to be like, no, it's, it's fine. It's cool. And for this, I'm like, Hey, Billy Gibbons is pretty okay. And you're like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the thing is, I, I do think it really works like for me on LaGrange because that song yeah. just is that voice to me, you know, like just let me yeah. know <laughs> if y'all want to go. Yeah. It, it's, it's got that sort of reverberation and a little bit of like a, a, a weird distinct twang to it that fits really well for that song yeah right but the rest is just like i would rather and, and you know on on beer drinkers and hellraisers they do a duet where dusty hill sings and i kind of found myself wishing that dusty was the lead singer <laughs> i i get that i i love dusty hill's vocal style on this yeah he was he really good shine, it's really good like, why isn't he the singer? <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but like... I guess when you write every song on the album, you get you get that little uh, veto power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. On the band's part, this is a stylistic choice. And on your part, it's a taste thing where it's like, I don't, I don't like this. Yeah, that's fine. But though. I think in general, it works pretty well. It's, it's not the best choice on all of the songs. And I think they get that by their later albums. Because, like, it's it's just kind of not there. Although I think vocally the worst one was the fifth track, Hot Blue and Righteous, which we'll get to. <laughs> I got oh, words that's about gonna be that one. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's jump into it. Yeah, let's start off our track by track with Waiting for the Bus. Have mercy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's interesting, actually. Um, this is one of the ones that kind of stood out to me as being more memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh Mainly because it's like kind of a, it's a little bit soul infused. Yeah, I think you're right. Which is unique for this album because it's got like, you know, the have mercy thing. That's like a repeated line and just the vocal melody is kind of, I don't know. It just seems like they were listening to some soul tunes when they wrote this. Yeah, there's a lot of really clear emotions on this album. The vocal stylings, like it or hate the technicalities of it. There's like heart put into them. Yeah. There, there's some yeah. there's some real energy getting put into them. And waiting for the bus is a really good setup for this entire album because it kind of hits all of the stuff that you can find as good parts of some of the later songs and just kind of like sets them in front of you. There's a grooving sort of bass line. There's some cool guitar work that's going on. There's some of the strongest vocal stylings with Billy Gibbons, and it's all just kind of here with the simple blues riff as a backbone to the song yeah and that riff is pretty good it, it's not anything special or unique but i just, i do remember you know the you know yeah yeah it, it's just kind of good <laughs> it's got a good groove good harmonica on this one too the harmonica doesn't come into play for most yeah. of the other songs but it shows up on here and it's like where'd it go bring him back well yeah i thought it was weird i'm looking at the personnel listing on this album no one is listed as playing harmonica that's concerning because it totally had a harmonica in that song <laughs> yeah it's like did a ghost play it <laughs> maybe the ghost of frank beard's beard played harmonica on the first track of this album exactly i'm just imagining just a bunch of just shaved off just beard trimmings just with a sheet (laughs) over its head just slamming that harmonica that's probably what happened that's i think we solved this mystery yeah yeah this case away that's about it so then we can talk about jesus just left chicago 
so, second track. Okay, so there's a weird thing that I have to bring up as the transition for Waiting for the Bus into Jesus Just Left Chicago, or how there's not one? Yeah, 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 yeah. It just cuts off abruptly. This is actually an error from the original cut of this album. Someone just messed up and, and didn't include the transition between tracks one and two, and that has persisted through to the digital age, which is hilarious. Yeah, me. like they could have easily just added a fade out, right? You'd think, yeah. <laughs> but now it's just, now it's a foundation of the art. <laughs> right, and it's really weird because it's two different time signatures. It goes from like a, a grooving kind of one to a lot slower and dun 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 Yeah. See, I thought I thought like my computer messed up or like Spotify oh, no. had, had an error. Oh no, it's <laughs> just it's just part of the album. That's a that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> they just left that. And, and and that was the remastered version on Spotify too. They didn't change it. Yeah. Well, okay, so there's a thing that I also have to point out about this album. This got remastered at one point or remixed in I want to say like the late or early 90s that okay. fundamentally changed how some of the instruments sounded. Now, that is not the case for the version that we listened to because in... We had the 2006 one. Right. In the 2006 right? version, they said, okay, let's get the original mix back in here, but remaster it. So okay, this cool. sounds the way that the original release did. But depending on where you get this album, be careful because you might get a remixed version or it might be weird. If you go on the digital outlets nowadays, they mostly have the 2006 remastered but original cut so you don't have to worry about that but it's there's a lot of weird little things about the production of this album that just come up yeah that's weird uh at any rate jesus just left chicago this is like a, a really simple straightforward like this is a the bluesiest song on the album i think yeah this one is just like it's kind of just a blues song and that might be diminutive but that's kind of how i feel about it yeah it's not it's not bad again it's just there's not a whole lot of stuff that it's playing with we talked a lot with albert king and how he had the blues as his style but made the songs kind of his own this weirdly enough on not a straight blues record is one of the more simple prototypical blues songs that i think we've ever heard on this show yeah <laughs> it's it's definitely kind of just the most basic one yeah but i mean that's not necessarily bad i feel like they're just having fun just jamming out yeah just totally a, a blues song and the solos on this one are real good oh yeah yeah there's a lot of good solo work on this thing that's kind of that was like the highlight for most of the tracks here for me yeah billy gibbons reminds you that he can play the crap out of a guitar yeah exactly <laughs> Um, that that made up for a lot of it. Not much else about this track yeah. because it is so basic. I'm fine with that. Next up is Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers. Yeah, this was one of the more interesting, for better or for worse, <laughs> tracks for me. Okay, because it's just like this. It's like this like party. I mean, the title says it all, right? Right. Yeah, you kind of get the idea of this one <laughs> from the get go. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty fun to listen to. Not that interesting still but it, it's memorable because it is it's like this wild party anthem thing yeah it's it's a really good just solid rock and roll song and i loved personally the simple but solid call and response for the vocals 
Yeah, yeah. So this one's a duet, like I mentioned, with Dusty Hill, the other guitarist. And I liked his vocals a lot on this. Yeah, it was really good. He's still got, like, a lot of emotion, but it's a little bit cleaner. Like, you can very easily tell who's singing which parts on this. And yeah. it just sort of works. Like, it feels kind of fun. Like, it's just drinking some brew, raising some hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... As one does. Exactly. This is a very Texas album. Quite yeah. fittingly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. ZZ Top is super Texas, and I'll I'll take this moment to say that like this I'll have is... the soup. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I'll take this moment to say that ZZ Top is the kind of Southern rock that I like, where it's very clearly influenced by Southern music, like, but not culturally over the top in being Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Like Z, there's. It's not like Leonard Skinner, you know? Right. There's Leonard Skinner where I expect to see a Confederate flag right next to it. And then there's ZZ <laughs> Top where I, I don't think that's necessary to gain entry. Yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely. It's definitely more musically Southern than culturally. Yeah, yeah. There's just like a reverence for the music. It, and I think I would I think I would more enjoy something like the Allman Brothers, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and and I think we have them on our list too, so that's something to look forward to. Yep. Yeah, so then we got track four, Master of Sparks, which you were saying you had something to say about this one. Okay, so Master of Sparks is written by exclusively Billy Gibbons. Right. And it's a story song about him hanging out with his redneck buddies, and they show him mm. this contraption, which is a giant metal ball made up of heavy gauge wire and in the center of this is a seat that you strap yourself into you strap yourself into this oh boy they put it in the back of a truck they bring that sucker to 60 miles an hour and they push the ball of heavy gauge wire with you inside it off the back of the truck oh my god and if you survive, you are the new master of sparks. <laughs> it's the best Holy shit. fucking thing that I've ever heard. That that is really good. I You know that <laughs> That elevates just, the song a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, like knowing that makes the song a lot better for me actually, because I thought this was kinda weak. Cause yeah. it's like this. They're trying to do, like, a dramatic, like, moody kind of, like, they got, like, the, the chord with, like, each note played out, like, uh, little chord arpeggios in the song. Yeah, yeah. Da, got da, a dramatic da. chord progression. Da, 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 da. That riff, like, something about it just felt, like, so empty to me. Ah. Oh. Like, it, it felt like it should be cool, but the, just, like, musically it wasn't, like, all there. Like, there wasn't enough filling the song in, I thought. I got you, yeah. But, but knowing... Knowing the story now, I feel like it's, like, kind of fitting. It's, like, this, like, grandiose, like, trial, you know? Right. It's it's making something that's relatively mundane. Like, this is, this is the coolest part of, like, redneck spectacle to me. Yeah. <laughs> because it's stuff that, like, the vast majority of human beings would think, no, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. But then <laughs> they pull it off, and it's like, but it would look really fucking cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> Like, there's a line in the song. Hold my beer. Yeah, there's a line in the song where Billy Gibbons is like, yeah, they showed me this thing, and I thought, woo, I bet that'd make a ton of sparks if it ever hit the ground. And that's a setup for, I'm going to push you out of the fucking truck in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And it's like, that's so wild and that's so cool. And I yeah. agree that it's a, it's a little simplistic musically. This one doesn't have a like a solo piece. It's a lot more about just the chords and then the riff. And it's almost trying not to get in the way of the lyrics, which I don't think is totally advisable. But between the story that it's telling and the energy and the tension that gets built up through the musical style, I I really liked this one. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. I feel like I'd like it again. I feel like I would like it if I listened to it again, now knowing what right. Master of Sparks represents. Yeah, yeah. Because that's awesome. Because at first you're like, what is... Like, if you're thinking about it symbolically, then the Master of Sparks doesn't, like, mean a whole lot. Because it sounds like this thing that shows up and then is gone. And it's like, no, no, no. It's that this other guy who had been launched in this fucking thing before lost his title and i'm the new master yeah. of sparks because i entered a death trap and survived like i was kind of just imagining like spark mandrel from Mega <laughs> man x no that's totally right <laughs> you know, oh, maverick okay. of sparks <laughs> hot blue and righteous is the next track you you have something to say about this one what what's up this is the spot on the album where i realized I didn't like what was going on here. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's break that down. Th- this is like a slow, sad, like, blues song. Uh, this is the token slow, sad one. And yep. <laughs> the lyrics on this feel like nothing, which is fine. Yeah. But the vocal delivery and the music just don't make up for it in my book. Like, th- okay. it's Like, the vocals are some of the worst on the album for me. Where it's it's like hot blue and red house. <laughs> it's just it's like I I don't know. It's just this might be a personal thing, but this song like really sucked for me. Oh wow! <laughs> See, like I this isn't one that I'd, I'd like defend with my life, but I thought it was okay. Like it's sure. it's, yeah, it's, and, it's and it is okay. It's a huge departure from like pretty much everything else on this album, and it's I think one of the more country songs as well. I think it feel it feels Maybe. a little bit more soul country because it it drops most pretense of being blues of like okay it, it just it doesn't feel as bluesy to me. It feels sad, sure, but like yeah. I, it doesn't it definitely doesn't feel like blues rock. It feels more like soulful country kind of styling. Sure. And I I will okay, I'll I'll make a concession on the lyrics. The lyrics are pretty much nothing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're basically it's like maybe the combination of hot blue and righteous as the description of this this angel that shows up and makes him feel better or something like that like the the, the story yeah. is nothing i like the juxtaposition of the three words in the title but they don't go anywhere sure. so it's not worth it like this song is i guess i should say it's not terrible or horrible i just like you did this not is like just it. like the one this is just the one for me where i was like uh, like you know? can we can we get on with it this album as a whole is kind of like uh, for me you know Aww. but but like i mean i do like moments on it and there's stuff about it i like for sure but this one had none of those things you gotcha. know yeah 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 i totally understand that yeah i also this is the only other song other than master of sparks that has only billy gibbons as a writing credit and I realized uh, that I really prefer when Gibbons has other people on his team. I like Master <laughs> of Sparks a yeah. lot, but it also didn't really finish. It didn't. It didn't have enough to it musically. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. Like, 
I, I feel like ZZ Top really works best as a collaborative trio rather than like as an individual thing. Yeah, I agree. Move Me On Down the Line is the next track, track six. And this one's kind of a more upbeat rock and roll kind of infused blues rock song. Yeah. And it's, uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's one of the more, you know, enjoyable, like, you know, songs you can, you know, rock out to. Yeah. It's pretty generic. Yeah, it's a lot of rhythm guitar, and it's, it, it feels like they had to put this one to, the, the, we're, we're on to side two, technically, now. Right, yeah. So, it feels like after Hot Blue and Righteous, to you need something like this to pick you back up and get you back into the album. And this one even kind of feels like it was maybe the one that was supposed to be the, uh, the radio hit that never was, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's pretty decent. Yeah, it's not. There's not a whole lot to write home about. <laughs> this song's like a like a solid like you know C plus from me. You know. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yep. That might be a little harsh, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't put it a whole lot higher than a B minus. I'll give you that. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Moving on down the line, uh, Precious and Grace. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> Precious and Grace has like a really nice groove, actually. Oh I, yeah, I like I like the way the drums locked in with the guitars here. Yeah, this was really grooving. Pretty grooving, and we toss around the word swagger a lot on a lot of our reviews, and this one is one of those. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> one it's of got those it. Swagger songs. It's got it. I also it's got that swagger. This and there was one song earlier. You kind of they interject like stage banter almost into some of their songs. Oh like yeah, they're, yeah. Li- they're little talking bits, and this one has specifically like. I'm talking to you, brother. And it's like... I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that stuck out. I was like, that's that's cute. That's fun. I like that stuff. I like that. And, yeah, and like, that's what makes LaGrange so good, I think. Yeah, because there's you know, just there's so like, much. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like, Yeah, he just leans nice into girls. it so much. <laughs> uh, let's, yeah. let's go on, because I don't have a whole lot to say about Pressers and Grace, but I love yeah, LaGrange no, I so don't. fucking much. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LaGrange so, is great. LaGrange, eighth track on the album... This is actually about a real place in Texas. There's the city of LaGrange, and just outside city limits of LaGrange is the Chicken Ranch, which is a brothel. (laughs) And it is also the inspiration for a musical called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh. Huh. And this is about that place, and just like, hey, if you're ever in Texas, go check it out, man. Yeah, just let me know if you want to go. Yeah. To that home down on the range. This... You know what I'm talking about. I got a lot of nice girls. This song succeeds on so many levels that it hurts. Yeah. Because the instrumentation is all great. The spaces and construction of this is where we get quiet and low, but the riff is still awesome. This is where we get big and loud, but the music is still awesome. And here's the <laughs> lows to highs and the flow of that, and that feels great. Hey, remember yeah. Billy Gibbons' weird voice? Let's turn that up to 11 because it's a character, <laughs> and it's a character yeah, of this up. dirty old man who's in Texas pointing you to this whorehouse. <laughs> and it all comes together and works. Yeah, like like Billy Gibbons, I was going to say this, but it would have made it sound like I really hated him, but I was going to say like <laughs> it comes off as like a Jeff Dunham puppet. Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> but but that, but that's like that's like not doing it justice because 
because that's horrible and bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you're right. It's like this very particular character with a very distinct, like you see him, his head sort of like bobbling when he laughs. Because he's got those really heavy, like super fake laughs. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can just see him sort of like <laughs> bouncing and doing that Muppet flail while he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's so much fun to listen to and sing along with. And, you know, it, it's like you, you can do an impression of it, but your ridiculous impression will never be <laughs> as goofy as the actual recording. Right. Like, I don't know all the words to LaGrange, but that no doesn't does. stop me Billy from Gibbons singing along know. to it. Like, I could just make noises like Billy Gibbons to the very clear tune that's being presented, and people would be like, yeah, he's singing LaGrange. He knows the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, you know how when when you're, like, singing along to a song in the car with someone... And like you think you know all the lyrics and you're singing it, and then it gets to verse two, and, and you and you like try to sing it, but it turns out you don't know it, so you kind of just look out the window like awkwardly. I've been there more times than I'm proud to admit. <laughs> Everyone looks out the window; it's amazing. But but for <laughs> Lagrange, that's the it only doesn't place matter. where there are no people. <laughs> but it, it it doesn't matter with Lagrange because Billy Gibbons doesn't know the lyrics. <laughs> right, it's not real. It's not real. It's fine. Everybody, so that, like you're already like if you were to sing the actual lyrics, you'd probably get more weird looks than if you were to just make noises. Because yeah, exactly. then you'd be clearly singing about a whorehouse. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I love Lagrange because it's a nearly four minute song that feels like one and a half. Yeah. It's just so fun and brisk and bouncy and perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this one made it worth it for me, I think. Despite my grievances. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately the next one I don't have quite as many good things to say about uh okay. Chic, the second to last track. I don't like it at all. Ooh, okay. I I I didn't find any reasons to like it, I think. <laughs> Just like the lyrics are so bad, like it's just like I met a sheik from Mozambique who took me to the Congo, and like it's like what are you talking about, dude? Y- you know what else rhymes with that? Weak. <laughs> hey, that's what this rhyme is. Yeah, and it has like this groove that it's trying to do. It's like this like kind of like tribal groove, and I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't really work. I wish they would just do blues. <laughs> I, I appreciate trying something different, but it just doesn't work. I think the kindest thing that I can say about this musically is that it, it felt kind of, to me in parts, like a knockoff Santana. Yeah, that's what I kind of had that feel. But I'd re- much, much, much rather be listening to Santana. Yeah. <laughs> than this song. For sure. <laughs> yeah, this one's... It's, it's groovy, the drums and percussion goes a little bit more far afield, but it mostly just makes me say, no, no go back to blues rock. Yeah, like, you, you can listen to this and, and like, tolerate it, but... Yeah, it's it, I, I kind of wish they didn't. <laughs> just don't. And then we got our last track, Have You Heard, which, this one is, like, weirdly religious, I think? Yeah. It's really unclear whether it's supposed to be taken seriously or not, and that might be... A thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Like, if it is religious, I don't really... Eh. It, it, like... Well, I don't... 
I don't really mind if it is or not. It's just like I don't know if it's supposed to. No, no, you're you're be taken right. seriously. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, and that's like and way worse than it being one or the other. That's totally right. Yeah, have you heard? I think the best part of this are the vocal harmonies, which are kind of the strongest that they're at. Gibbons is at his cleanest, and Dusty Hill does a really good job. And it sounds like there's all three of them harmonizing on this one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a kind of nice little like choral um slower kind of sensitive song yeah it's it's sensitive but like giving a damn more than hot blue and righteous does yeah for sure so i i i like it as i wish that hot blue and righteous was more like this because this has the soul and the more like choir aspects of it and Mm -hmm. more energy and life to it i guess yeah there's definitely more activity there's uh, it's pretty good. Yep. I'd say it's a good closer. It's good, good enough. I think. I think it works as a closer. It's not definitely not the strongest closer that we've ever seen on this show, but I think it functions. Yeah. yeah so, final thoughts on Tres Hombres, which I I may add as a note of trivia, the title means three men. Wow. <laughs> There's a little Spanish lesson for you. I liked this album. I didn't love this album. I think. I say a lot of times that I'm surprised by this, but for this episode, on both cases, I've really hedged my bets a little bit more on that front. Like, yeah. ZZ Top and Kiss were not going to surprise me terribly with whether or not I liked them. But I I did find myself with more moments on the ZZ Top album going, oh, what? Oh, okay, yeah. sure. Like, they're, they're doing this. Yeah, definitely. Like, this is probably the least surprising album we've had on the show so far. Um, yeah. But there are some really good parts and nice things about it, which is probably more than we could say about the next one we're going to review. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, the, if Whoa. you thought the 27 naysaying a lot of the stuff and then walking it back for Trace Hombres is, is the most negative that we were going to get on this show. <laughs> Whoa! <clears throat> okay. Oh. Uh, hmm. So after a short break, we're going to review Destroyer by Kiss. Stay tuned. second album of today's episode destroyer by kiss from 1976 yes uh this is one that i have heard before of the few albums on our list that i have although it was a long time ago when i had listened to this album fully so i have heard stuff by kiss before but nothing off of this album wait nothing i don't think i've heard anything off of this album you had never heard detroit rock city I don't think so. Flaming Youth or Shout It Out Loud? Mm, no. Okay, well, nope, not a color thing. me impressed because <laughs> Detroit Rock City is one of the like most overplayed songs ever on classic rock radio. And mm. Shout It Out Loud and Flaming Youth get quite a lot of airtime too. Uh, not quite as egregious, but they're, they definitely have a huge radio presence. Um, but especially yeah. Ro- Detroit Rock City, like... 
I'm just amazed that you hadn't heard that. Which yeah, I totally, I totally get it. I think the difference is that I listened to more of the classic rock radio that was. I mean, it was still '60s and '70s stuff, but I feel like a lot of Kiss's stuff gets shoved into the more hard rock stations. Right. They're not super hard rock. They're, I also cringe anytime someone calls them heavy metal, Ugh. but they're they're harder. They're on the harder side. A thing that we have to talk about with Kiss. Let's let, let's do a little bit of the band breakdown. Yeah. Kiss is made up of four principal members. At least at this point. Right. Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Paul Stanley, and Peter Chris. And they all have their own... Well, it's really stage makeup. I'd call it a persona, but they don't really have that much character associated no. with it. Except maybe Gene Simmons. Yeah, as the demon, yeah. He has this whole... As the demon. Sleazeball demon boy. Right, he has the, the big tongue thing. Yeah. Like, here's the thing about Kiss. From every piece of promotional material that I've seen of the band, I don't think anybody likes being in Kiss except for Gene Simmons. <laughs> None of them look like they're having a good time, except for Gene Simmons. He really is. <laughs> I, I mean that not just in, like, the character thing, because yeah. God knows that he's he's totally hamming it up and got the big old smile and the tongue hanging out. But everybody else is just sort of being them with a pouty sort of face and just not... Like, even when they're singing or playing the guitar or any other instrument that they've got, which I assume is a thing that they like to do for one reason or another, (laughs) they don't seem like they're having a good time. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, maybe the whole, like pouty face stoic boy kind of thing is for the the female audience probably i i think that's got to be some of it yeah but like Whereas... for reasons that i'll get into much much later on this album i there's some really big evidence that there are people in kiss who do not want to be in kiss <laughs> i think uh i think gene simmons really symbolizes and exemplifies the masculinity and the machismo of being a rock star while the others are a little more sensitive and and you know uh trying to appeal to their female audience whereas gene simmons is the wild party animal uh sleazy rock star you know yeah i get that i think i think that makes sense yeah i mean it's all it's all marketing (laughs) you know yes that's the other that's the other thing we need to talk about with kiss this band is like 90% marketing, 10% music. Yeah. <laughs> I brought up in our little pre-show talking to each other the concept and execution of a kiss casket. <laughs> uh, which is casket with a K for whatever godforsaken reason. Alliteration. This It's like Donkey Kong this country. Is a, yes. <laughs> this is a coffin that you can purchase that is emblazoned with the kiss logo pictures of the band members and i guess flames are really the only other thing that they've got so it's covered in flames uh and you can have your own little personal tomb yeah that's uh that's got the kiss licensing on it yep who thinks to make this well uh a what kind of a person makes this an extremely successful band built on their image and marketing with a very loyal fan base oh my god yeah and that's the thing like there's some big like kiss fans like kiss has like a fandom of people who are like obsessed like they're one of the big bands that have a huge following and like it's it's like this cult following uh of people 
Because, I mean, obviously they were just mainstream back in the day, and now they're a classic rock band, but they still have the hardcore fan base. Like, there's a community. It's it's like Juggalos, you know? Like, there are like, right, Kiss right. Heads. I mean, I'm sure they have a name. I don't know what they're called. But I'm... Right, they're basically I, I haven't gotten that close to it to know. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some things that I do have to give Kiss credit for. The first is that they pretty much created the modern stage show with pyrotechnics and yes. all of the crazy technical machinations that go on in a fully-fledged stage show. They were the first to pioneer that, and that's, I mean, that's important. Yeah. And, like, the costumes and the makeup and stuff went on to influence yeah, yeah. a lot of people, like Guar and, like, all the black metal bands and, you know, stuff right. like they that. Right, they basically created their own subgenre of rock. When Kiss originally came out, this was very novel, and it was wild. Yeah. And the other thing that I do give them credit for is that there are moments on this album, and I have to assume most of their other albums, where all four members of the the main core of the band get to have their writing moments. Yes. That doesn't always happen. Yeah. And for a band like this, where you're, when you're making your marketing based off of four iconic individuals, it would be a really big shame. And I think would probably be the tipping point for me to just completely discredit them. If you then had all of your songs farmed out to someone else or just farmed to one member of the band. Well, the way I see it is, like, they're, like, a boy band, right? And, like, every, like, KISS fan has their favorite member, you know? Yeah. Is that, like, that I kind get of thing. That. Right. And I think that makes sense. They do have their own styles, and you can kind of pick out where each song was written by or helmed by one of the different members of the band. Most of the songs on this album are helmed by either Gene Simmons or Paul Stanley. Yes. And they're, that's pretty consistent. They still make up the core of the songwriting team on the band. Yeah. And then you have the Ringo star of the band, Peter Chris, who gets his one moment on the yep. album, Beth. Oh, bless him. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to Peter Chris. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then Ace Frehley. Ace Frehley, I... Okay, so I was listening to Pandora years ago, and Ace Frehley's solo stuff would come up every once in a while, and I'm like, this rocks. Yeah, he's this actually really cool. good. Yeah. yeah, he seems to be like the one with the most music... Like, he seems like the George Harrison of the band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he's got the most, like, wait, wait, wait. actual musical talent. So we have to figure it out now. So okay. So obviously, would that make Paul Stanley, John, and Gene Simmons uh, Paul? Or is it the other way around? I, I, I'd i flip You'd it. Flip. Because okay, yeah. I, th- I think that Paul Stanley... Paul Stanley has, I think, the most writing credits on this album. And he's got that really core party rock sound to most of his songs. True. And his name is Where, Paul. Yes, that also helps. <laughs> Yeah, and, Whereas Gene Simmons... He's more defiant, I'd say. Yeah, he gets into some of the weird stuff. And the a lot of the moments where the album gets, like, really weird and really not so solid is when Gene Simmons kind of strikes out on his own. Yeah. So we just, we just solved... We just cracked the code here. Kiss <laughs> is the Beatles. <laughs> and I think that's a reasonable assessment of how they got so popular. Kind of, yeah. It, it fits a lot of the the standard tropes that people like identify with with rock bands. There are individual members that you can pick out your favorite songs from. Mm-hmm. So each album has something for everybody who listens. Yeah. The designs of these for lack of a better word characters that you have as the people making this album are also really marketable. They're identifiable. Yeah. If I were to just show you the makeup for one of the characters, it wouldn't matter which one. You'd say, "Oh, that's like Kiss, right?" 
<laughs> and you'd be right. Yeah, yeah. It would be so easy to pick it out of a lineup. Yeah, dude, we we solved the mystery today. We figured out Kiss. <laughs> so, oh, well. Go home, guys. This was a great episode. Next week we're going to be reviewing. No, we got to do the. Oh, yeah. Well, let's do a track by track at least. <laughs> yeah, let's do a track by track because th- this is this is a weird sort of inversion. So you started off with Trace Ombre saying that you didn't really like it, and then we got through it and we found the stuff to like on it. Here we're saying this is why Kiss succeeds, and then we get into the album. <laughs> and well, here, here's the thing: I actually enjoy listening to this one more than Trace Ombre's, just because there's more. Uh, I feel like there's more stuff for me to to latch onto, and there's more memorable things about it and like there's like sing-alongs and stuff and that's really kind of fun yeah yeah like this album is fun uh, i have like i can i can't say it any other way like you could say it's bad and you wouldn't be wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i'll put this on in my car with some friends and jam to it you know i think that's fair i i'm gonna be bad cop for this album yep. because i really didn't like it yeah i i'm sorry there, there's not <laughs> two ways about yeah, it yeah that's totally i could good <laughs> there are moments there are moments that i appreciate and the song again the song construction isn't really that bad overall it's just there are a lot a lot of parts on these tracks that feel aggressively mediocre to me yes <laughs> let's let's talk about detroit rock city track one yeah okay let's 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 start off in our track by track detroit, detroit rock city fine song i think so this is I think kind of undebatably, well, anything's debatable, but most people would agree this is one, this is probably just the best song in the album. Yeah. It is based on a true story about a Kiss fan who was on the way to a Kiss concert and died in a car accident. So they kind of wrote this song from that fan's perspective, and it starts off with this like intro of just like radio noise, and you hear rock and roll all night playing on the radio, and he's like singing along to it a little bit or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of wish the intro was shorter. It's like, okay, you know, I just want to hear the song, but whatever. Yeah, it's got a lot of build-up and it's atmospheric, but it's... It, it, it's the wrong I mean, it's place okay. for that, I think, but... Yeah, I think that's But right. then to get into the song, there's actually, like, some, like, really legit riffs, and, like, there's this really yeah. iconic little bass lick, you know, the boo-doo-doo, doo 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 you know? Like, that's, that's yeah, like really yeah, that good. good. Like, I would expect to hear that from, like, a real band, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And also like the the drums are killer on this song. Yeah, yeah. And there's also the the solo part which is uh it's like a dual guitar uh harmony, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just like everything about this song is so iconic and memorable and the lyrics are good cuz it is about this fan who's on his way to the Kiss concert and he's so stoked and pumped and he's a little too excited because he's speeding and he's drinking and he dies. Yeah. And that's a, a real story. So that that's kind of what makes it so great is it does have this emotional weight to it. And it is also just a jamming song. <laughs> this song gets a lot of the good stuff in the album out of the way pretty quick. Yeah. Is my biggest problem with it. <laughs> this could have had the closer. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was really good. And I think I do kind of like it as an opener with that weird little at- atmospheric intro. Because yeah. it, it kind of set me up for this album being a Kiss album. Yeah. Especially because I haven't heard anything off of this album, but I have heard rock and roll all of night. Of course. <laughs> because I'm a human. Uh, <laughs> well, that's I, that's why I'm surprised you haven't heard Detroit Rock City is all, you know? Right, yeah. But, like, I've heard that song, so it's set up as, like, okay, yeah, this is 
This is KISS. They're like an you institution know, at this point, right? You know, I wonder if I've heard Detroit Rock City more because I live in Michigan and because people love songs that say the name of that, Detroit and other cities in Michigan. That is probably right. That could be it. Because KISS is from Detroit. They're, they're one of Michigan's few uh, claims to fame, music-wise, along with the White Stripes and Kid Rock. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Which you don't claim that one so much as you take responsibility. Exactly, for. yeah. <laughs> you you claim him like you make an insurance claim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess Detroit Rock City might be uh, a beloved thing where I live more than where you live. Yeah. But I do think it's a very good song, and it, it has a lot of strong points that a lot of those other songs on this album don't have, like... My biggest complaint with this album overall, like music-wise, is that the guitars lack bite, like they lack edge, because they're so processed, yeah. and like the riffs aren't that interesting usually, and it just, the guitar sounds so mechanical, you know, but and this one, it sounds alive, for some, something's different about it. I think that's totally right, because one of the things that I did sort of mention for this song when I was trying to break it all down was that... A lot of the points in this song feel like every note is carefully placed. Yeah. Like everything is really figured out and there's no, like even the solos are still sort of like you can you can replicate it note for note relatively easily. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a whole lot of technical playing and you don't need technical playing and like really you don't need to have really convoluted playing to impress me with a solo. You just have to convince me that I couldn't do it in, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, like... And this this album doesn't always get that. No. But the solo on Detroit Rock City is very constructed, and the harmonies are pretty lovely, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Detroit Rock City really works. Yeah. But it, the few cracks that it does have don't get covered up by the rest of the songs on the album. Mm -hmm. For sure. Then we got the second track, which uh, is King of the Nighttime World which I think is pretty boring, just, like, strictly speaking. It's, it's like, the most, like, standard, basic, like, classic rock jam. But yep. it did grow on me, and I found myself singing along to it, and it's actually kind of, like, a lot of fun. <laughs> just... I think the chorus is super fun. Yeah. I think it's got a really solid refrain that is fun to shout Oh, to. I couldn't that's, tell you that's pretty any of the lyrics in the verse. <laughs> but the yeah. chorus is fun. Yeah. And that's you know, kind of enough for something like this. And it is the second track. It yeah. is following up Detroit Rock City. That's a hard thing to do. The The problem that I had with this song, and this is a, extremely a personal problem. This is not right. a mark of quality on the song at all. This is the song where I realized that Paul Stanley's vocalizations, because he, he's on Detroit, he's the lead vocals on Detroit Rock City and on King of the Nighttime World. Right. This is where I figured out that Paul Stanley sounds like Van Halen to me. Oh, you think he's got, he got David Lee Roth vibes? Yep, yep, and I don't like Van Halen very much. I think they're a better band than Kiss. Fair enough. And I know that empirically they are a good band, but I don't like Van Halen so much. Yeah. So that threw me off for the rest of this album. I feel that. I, I think I've just uh, I've just listened to both of these bands so much that like they don't sound similar to me anymore. Because um, I have listened to a lot of Van Halen and a lot of Kiss. But <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, but there's not a lot of else to say about this song, which seems to be becoming a catchphrase on this fucking show. But <laughs> but sometimes well, that's okay, how it one, is, right? One thing I, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, a thing that I will say, just sort of poking at the writer's credits for this, Detroit Rock City is Paul Stanley and their producer Bob Ezrin, yes. who is also their manager, I believe. Uh -huh. And you can feel that, and it's got like a lot of breathe. It's got some breathing room, and 
And that's part of the reason why I like it. King of the Nighttime World feels like super constructed, and it's got yeah. two other writers on it that are not members of KISS. Yeah, it's a lot more homogenized. and It's it's really put together and radio-friendly, and I think that... Manufactured. That, yeah. And that's what I was which, saying. It is just a really generic, just classic rock jam. Yeah. I don't know that regular, homogenized, radio-friendly, classic rock jams would bother me quite as much if it wasn't <laughs> from a band... That was supposed to be super out there and crazy go nuts on stage. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird dichotomy, huh? Right, because there's this idea that okay, Kiss and its ilk are supposed to shock you. Yeah, there's there's actually <laughs> part of a genre that's shock rock, which is Alice Cooper and Kit. I, I like Alice Cooper a lot more. Yeah, yeah, but for it's sure. that similar kind of. <laughs> He's an artist. I'm supposed to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like I'm supposed to freak you out. I'm supposed to make you go whoa. And while Kiss succeed in that with their presentation, yeah, the fact that the music doesn't hold up to that kind of scrutiny makes it significantly worse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, you can be a middle-of-the-road classic rock band, but if you're, ma- if you're making your marketing and the most of your money off of the idea that you're supposed to be edgy and out there and weird... You yeah. gotta, like, follow that up with the actual art, my man. Yeah, for sure. And and I can actually kind of see, if we can get into the next track, they did kind of get into it somewhat, and they tried to All right. uh, attempt to be this wild and crazy band with the song God of Thunder, which yes. I don't think is successful, but because <laughs> this is one of the worst songs on the album, depending on how you look at it. I know some people who really, really enjoy this song, but... God of Thunder. I, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I'm in your camp. God of Thunder is ostensibly a heavy metal jam. It's it's this, like, fake-ass, like, trying to appeal to the heavy metal crowd and, like, cashing in on this yes. trend. And The writing is not the least successful thing about it because it's not great, yeah. I think. No. But my biggest note that i have for this song is that i wish it were being played by anybody except kiss (laughs) yeah because i see the pieces yeah i see the things that could be happening and i feel like in the hands of a band that was more committed to actually making heavy metal music this could be a pretty good song (laughs) yeah and and the vocals on this uh are by this is the first track with gene simmons's vocals which is interesting because paul stanley wrote this and it was originally mm-hmm. more upbeat and like a faster like rock song, but they slowed it down and made it heavier to cash in on this heavy metal thing and had Gene Simmons sing it because he does have this gruffer, heavier voice. But yeah. it just comes off as really goofy in like a bad way for me. Right. Because but in slowing it down, you get this like, okay, when he says rock and roll, I've never less believed in the spirit of rock and roll in my life. <laughs> God of thunder. <laughs> And rock and roll. Yeah. You're not rock and roll, man. (laughs) You're just not good. Yeah, you're you're a a businessman. (laughs) Right. Like and and that's another thing. I I guess I appreciate Gene Simmons' voice sometimes, but for the most part he sounds like an actor who's understood the concept of rock and roll. <laughs> He's got that very act and I can say this because I've I've heard I mean actors aren't all immediately bad singers, but there's the kind of actor who is built for musicals and has a set of pipes and like has their own actual singing style. And then there's people who can act at singing. 
which is I hit enough of the notes to convince you, and then I talk the other notes. <laughs> I cover up the fact that I'm not as proficient by building my character and doing that character voice so that when I'm dropping notes or when the notes don't matter as much, I can sell my music some other way. Yeah. And Gene Simmons is a lot more in the character actor camp, which is a problem when you're supposed to be the front man and lead singer for a heavy metal band. Yeah. Yeah, it's questionable at best. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's, he does... His voice works a lot better on the song Sweet Pain, where he kind of does nail it, I think. Yeah. Which is weird, yeah, we because can... on God of Thunder... Yeah, I'll give him credit for that one. On God of Thunder and the next song, Great Expectations, he's just bad. It's it's really not good. Also, one more note before we get too far ahead. Remove the children from this song. Please. Please. <laughs> I hate the children. Like, we've talked before about how we don't want to hear children in our music. Like, I know, I don't. know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> we talked in the freaking penalty game episode yeah. how the children were bad. <laughs> and even in that one, I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's a kid's cry. It's crazy. But this is just this a child like, screaming. No, remove child. <laughs> undo child. Whatever you did, undo it. That alone would improve the song, I think. But not, not save it. But ugh. It, w- it wouldn't save it, but I would probably be able to put this in the it passes, but just barely. But... <laughs> Like, if you have to compound the not-heavy-metalness of this song with the fact that I have to hear a child shrieking every, like, between every couple of verses... Yeah. I'm gone. See ya. You've lost me. I will say, though, God of Thunder is another one that's very fun to sing with your friends as goofs. Yes. (laughs) So that's a thing. But... Yeah, I feel like shouting this at a concert would probably be way more fun than listening to it right now. But the next song has a lot more things going against it. wow. Great Expectations, the fourth track. Another Gene Simmons-fronted song. You had some interesting... Okay, yeah. (laughs) So this one is written by Gene Simmons and Bob Ezrin. Okay, first off, I don't know what genre this is. Because it's not... It's not cool enough to be rock. It's not (laughs) bouncy enough to be pop. It's not anything else. So I'm not sure what it's doing. I think it's art rock. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) It's like really sleazy, gross art rock. Yeah, and not even in like a fun way. No. Because I've, I mean, there's sleazy, gross rock. (laughs) I I think this uh, song is kind of fun and like a really bad, like, oh my god, I can't believe you said that way. (laughs) That's that's fair. I think for some of us it can wrap back around. Yeah. (laughs) But for me it's just like, I don't want to be a part of this. No. (laughs) I don't want to be party to this. But, so, the thing that I had about it, there's... A riff, or I don't even think it's a riff, it's just like a series of notes that are on an indescribable instrument. It's like if bells and a synth got together and had a hate child. Are you talking about the chimes? Is it just chimes? I think so. Because it's like, it's like, okay, so the, the part of the song that I'm remembering is... Da, da, da. I don't know what instrument is making that noise, but I heard it. I'm like, that's wait a minute. Well, that's this is a riff. Well, first of all, that's my new ringtone. (laughs) (laughs) There's the thing about those notes is that I listened to it and almost immediately went, "This is the chorus to this night." By Billy Joel. Oh. This night is yeah. mine. 
It's only you and I. Right. Fucking fried that one. But I was like, wait a fuck. Okay, I gotta go digging. <laughs> yes. So I went. I did some detective work. This song came out in 1976. This Night by Billy Joel came out in 1983. Mm. And I had the immediate horrifying thought of, oh my God, <laughs> did somebody crib a riff from Kiss? Let alone and was that some Great Expectations. Billy Joel. <laughs> like, did Billy Joel steal from Great Expectations by Kiss? Holy crap. My mind immediately rejected the scenario. Yes. Which was good. Because, <laughs> because, Billy Joel did not steal that riff from Kiss. He stole that riff from motherfucking Beethoven. Oh, okay. That so they choral, both... That chorus bit is from uh, what is colloquially referred to as the Sonata Pathétique huh. by Beethoven. Interesting. So they both had a prior ancestor. Yes. Except that Billy Joel's song is actually like a, a slow romantic song that's actually <laughs> like similar to a sonata in any respect. <laughs> and this one is like, watch me play this song on the piano. Bink. Bink. <laughs> bink. 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 Exactly. Bink. Bink. Yes. It's. It's so lame and weak and nothing. This is a nothing song. Okay, but there's that. But the lyrics of this thing are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've I've yelled for enough. Please tell me about the lyrics, because I I wiped them from my mind. So basically, Gene Simmons is singing to, uh, I guess presumably a groupie or someone who is a fan of Kiss and is listening to them play. And he's basically just describing how she's uh, turned on by their playing. And uh, he's saying, uh, you you watch me singing this song and you see what my mouth can do. And you wish that you were the one I was doing it to. And then, oh my and then, God. That, and then that motif is repeated with other parts. Like, you watch me playing guitar and you feel what my fingers can do. And it's like, no. Oh. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Please. And then they do it again, oh, and I can't even say the last one. I don't even feel right saying it on the show. You can go. I don't. I don't want to hear. Go it. look up. I, I get the idea. You can look up the lyrics, and it's just bad. And then it's like you've got great expectations repeated ad nauseum. Like yeah, it just keeps it. Like that was another thing that I noticed, and it's not. It's not limited to just this song. The choruses of these songs aren't written. <laughs> they have like a line and it's the title of the song and then it just doesn't like finish god of thunder is an exception to this i think because, there's a few like there there are a couple that uh, you notice but like there are a lot of songs that just have like their line and then they repeat it like four times yeah. and then they just get back into a verse and it's like i think that's un no i think that's unfair i'm gonna contest this because i think okay. the songs that do fit this are um, well, you could make a case for King of the Nighttime World being that, even though there is more to it, but it's not good. Uh, <laughs> Great Expectations is that, and Shout It Out Loud, and Do You Love Me are that. But okay, the rest of these yeah. songs do have real choruses, my friend. Detroit Rock City okay. has Get Up, Everybody's Gonna Move Their Feet, Get Down, yes. Everybody's Gonna yeah. Leave okay, Their we, Seat. All right, Gotta all right, lose your right, mind right, of Detroit Rock City. We can't 
You cannot keep bringing up Detroit Rock no, City no, no, but when we have now, already firmly established this, that that's the good okay. song on this album. <laughs> this was the first example. And then you have... Okay. Well, God of Thunder is nothing, um, so that's one. Uh, <laughs> Flaming Youth is like, Flame of Youth, Flaming Youth will set the world on fire. Flaming Youth, our flag is flying higher and higher and higher. Which, yeah, that's actually yeah. our next song, so we might as well get right into that. But um, Sweet Pain and yeah. Beth are also exceptions. Yes, that's fair. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I admit I will recant and say that I fixated on it a lot. But no, like, I mean it is half the album, so you're not completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> just like when it happens, it just, it feels so cheap and nothing. Yeah. It feels so late. <laughs> but I think it does work for shout it out loud at least because that's the point, you know. Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that one. Yeah. That was another bright spot. Um, Flaming Youth. Let Let's stop talking about Great Expectations. Thank you. For fucking. <laughs> I hate it. Flaming Youth. Flaming Youth is a song of rebellion, and it kind of somehow comes off as genuine, uh, despite the context. I actually like this one, uh, and it has fun riffs, you know, the because this is the Ace yeah. Friendly one, uh, which is awesome. Yes, it is. This, I thought I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down as I was listening to this song, holy shit, a real solo in the wild. <laughs> yeah, the solo on this one because... pretty much rocks, too. Because there's so many of these songs that have what I could identify as a solo, but is so, like, contained and clinical that it just makes me want to barf. <laughs> yeah. And this one has, like, hey, I play guitar in the band. I'm going to write a fucking solo for me to do. Yes. Uh, and Ace Frehley really rocks it on this one. And yes. the other thing about this song is... I don't know if this is a thing, but someone has probably done it. This song is a lot better if you invoke Death of the Author and reappropriate it as a queer anthem. Think about it. Oh, sweet, yeah. Because, like, like, flaming youth, like, we'll set the world on fire, yeah. our flag is flying higher and higher and higher. Like... <laughs> yeah. I'm totally down. I, if you can get that out of this, Godspeed, because that's... Like, like I actually really hope someone has done that. Like, play this at, like, queer rallies and stuff, like... Sure. I, I know that's not what they meant, <laughs> yeah. but it but doesn't matter it's, because it's awesome. It's literally more than they ever thought about this song. Yeah. So, like, do it. <laughs> like, it actually, if all the lyrics pretty much work, because there's lines like, like, our parents think we're crazy and they hate the stuff we do. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Also, I, I had one more note for this song. It almost feels, like, too mean, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because... I don't get to do this on this show this often. <laughs> uh, when it gets to the higher bit, you can hear the absence of the falsetto. Like, there's a point where they get high, at, like, higher and higher with their voice as they're saying higher and higher. Oh, and yeah, higher. yeah, Paul Stanley. And, like, there's a, there's a point where he should be capping this off with, like, an actual, like, whale. Like a falsetto whale. Um, and then he just kind of does I it. I know the part you're talking about, and I can see how that might seem unsatisfying, but I actually think he did a good job. Yeah, he, it, he turns it into a he, shout. I think he did a good job. I don't think like, Paul Stanley could pull off a falsetto, and I think yeah, he knew it. That's, I mean, that's that's also kind of what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> this, every everything that they're trying to build from other, like you can feel the pieces from other bands who can do this stuff, and then they just kind of stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Flaming Youth is it's one of the better songs. Yeah, I do, I do like it a lot. Very fun. Very yep. potentially queer if you interpret it the wrong way, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got our track six. Oh, do you have more? 
Well, no, I was just gonna say we're only halfway through this album right now. Oh yeah, but the 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 last half is brief. <laughs> the last half is more brisk. <laughs> like we got a couple four minute songs, and then the Detroit Rock City is five minutes with the intro, and then like everything after this is like right around three minutes, give or take. Sure. And yeah, like these these two albums we've listened to, uh, and here's our connecting point. Even though there's a few, uh, they're both about thirty yeah. minutes long. And that kind of works perfectly for the content. Because uh, any more, and I'd be like, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, now let's let's get into Sweet Pain. Yeah, this song is fronted by Gene Simmons, and which makes a lot of sense, being that this song is about BDSM. <laughs> yeah, it's written exclusively by Gene Simmons as well. Yeah, it is pretty goofy, but it's also pretty much... Uh, a fun jam. It's pretty generic, but uh, it's got stuff. Yeah, this yeah this one just kind of functions. Gene Simmons does go a little cartoony on the moment that I really love because it's really stupid and goofy. Where he goes, uh, "You'll get your love in anyhow, anyhow," which is <laughs> a pff, a pff, pff. <laughs> pretty funny. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Gene Gene Simmons is at his best when he's not trying to be like a real heavy metalsman. Yeah, like in God and of just Thunder. like. He's just goofing. Yeah, like, just just be a goofy rock guy, and I guess that's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. Also, the riffs and the, the tone of the words, you get to love me, or something like that, it, mm. it's either you get to love me or you get to love and I didn't care enough to look it up, but that feels almost identical to from Rock and Roll All Night, You Keep On Shouting. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, like, almost the same. Yeah. And, it like, at this point, I've just resigned myself to accepting this. It's gonna happen. But I, I'm sure someone's gonna care. So I thought I'd point it out. Sure. Yeah, I, I hear that kind of thing, and I'm just I just go, yeah, okay, it's Kiss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like near the beginning of this album, if this had hit like earlier, I'd be like, well, hey, come on, like you know, you gotta actually like play. But now halfway through it, it's like this is happening. Like if that happened is, in Detroit Rock land. City, you'd be like, okay, guys, like you you had a really good thing going here. <laughs> yes, exactly. If there if this happened in one of the better songs, like one of the songs that I had more higher expectations for <laughs> i i would you even say great expectations like, you just the words popped into my head and i was like you just gotta commit and just get it's like a it's like ripping off a band-aid <laughs> that song is so <sighs> bad <laughs> oh yeah Su- sweet pain is just mostly okay and it functions it's it's a decent enough gene simmons song about the stuff that gene simmons is going to write about in the way that gene simmons is going to write about them and if you like bdsm you'll get a kick out of it <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's kind of goofy. Yeah. But, like, that's kind of all it has. Not a lot. But then we got our next song, uh, Shout It Out Loud, which is one of the iconic Kiss songs from this album, uh, along with Detroit Rock City. It's one of the really big ones. Flaming Youth was a big one, too, but it was, like, it was a minor hit. Yeah, yeah. But this one is, like, the stadium rock sing-along anthem. Because the chorus is just shout it, shout it, shout it out loud. I wanna hear ya. You know, like yeah, like it. It's it just pretty fun. It's it's good. Yeah. Like I I got really surprised when I got to this one on my second listen. It was like, wait, wait, is this song good? <laughs> oh my god, this song might be good. See, because this song doesn't try to be anything more than what it should be. Which a lot of the other songs, I feel like that kind of is what ruins them. Like, God of Thunder tries to be this heavy metal song when it should just be a rock and roll song, you know? Yeah. And here's a really cool, another through line that we have. 
One of the songs that we liked most off of Trace Hombres was one where Dusty Hill and Billy Gibbons were trading off doing the vocal call and response. Yeah, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley do that here. They do that here, and it works really well, and it's one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, I guess they're like (laughs) deciding who sings what song. They're like, well, we can both sing it. (laughs) Yeah. So that worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think the call and response really enhances the verses as well. Because there's, there's some of that in the verses, and then the, the chorus sells it by just having everybody pretty much shout at the same time, and it's fun. Yeah. But, like, it, it's weird to say. I get on a lot of the other Kiss songs for being too constructed. This one feels like the best orchestrated of all the Kiss songs on this album. Mm. Yeah, I'd say so. Like, it, it has a goal, and it tries really hard to meet that goal. And even if the goal is just, hey, let's have a shouty stadium rock anthem that all of our fans can sing along with us. When you have that goal and you deliver on it, that's fine. Yeah, for sure. Just so many of these other songs are are just like have a nothing goal or don't try to meet it well enough. Yeah. And that's where it falls apart. Yeah. And I've talked before on our Stone Roses review how I love, 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 love the kind of like recent modern like reinterpretation of stadium rock as an art. Like with mm-hmm. bands like Bang Camaro and Andrew WK and The Darkness and Foxy Shazam, like they take the stadium yeah. rock and just make they distill it and make it like perfect, you know. And I feel like this is like an early example of that where they figured it out, like what makes those songs work and made a really fun fucking song. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these songs kind of fail at that, as with a lot of other bands of this era. But. <sighs> But now we know, and we can make these songs, like, down to a science, you know? And we have bands like Foxy Shazam who do it just super well. You should check out fucking... If you like this song, like, you should (laughs) check out Foxy Shazam. Absolutely. They're a little more, like, Queen-influenced, too. In general, you should check out Foxy Shazam. They're just very, very good. If just on their name alone should sell you. (laughs) Right. That that, that should get you at least... That should get your foot in the door. Yeah. And, and okay. Bank Camaro and Andrew WK. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, of course. Uh, it kind of takes out the bad parts of this kind of music. Yeah. So, after uh, that... We get to Beth. Yeah, which... Okay, what did you think of this song? Because I'm really curious to know. Okay, so... This is the Peter Chris uh, ballad of the album. Right. Peter Chris is the drummer for Kiss, and he... The Catman. The Catman. <laughs> um, oh, let me let me back up a little bit because we've kind of there's not a whole lot that we could mention about Peter Chris otherwise on this album. So let's, <laughs> let's, let me take a second to just sort of to get everything out of the way about him. I think that of all the things on this album that are like consistently, I don't have a problem with the drums are really good. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the drums just seem really solid all across the board and some of my favorite moments in a lot of these songs are some of the drum fills that work out really well yeah in the middle of these like aggressively mediocre songs <laughs> so for sure like in theory peter chris is fine he, he's on this album. he's the ringo of the band like he doesn't stand out that much but like you really start to appreciate yeah. him when you look into it right right beth is so different from every other song on this album so in the first sense i appreciate that it even fucking exists yes that they decided to put this on the album (laughs) right like this song could have been so easily cut this song could have been so easily just said like hey you know peter this is this is cute 
but I don't think it really belongs on a Kiss album. Like, yeah, <laughs> but it's not. It's here. So first off, kudos for taking that. Kudos for you know giving that slot to Peter Chris. Yeah. Howsomever, <laughs> there is a difference between sad and touching. <laughs> this song is sad, and a lot of people interpreted the sadness of this song to be touching. But this is not a touching, sweet, soft song. This is a well-written cry for help. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> let, me, let me bring you back to the point that I mentioned way earlier in this review. About the idea that Gene Simmons is the only member of KISS oh my who God. likes being in KISS. Oh my god. <laughs> the lyrics of this song are, Beth, I hear you calling, but I just can't come around. Oh no. He's with the boys playing, and they haven't found the sound. Ooh. <laughs> there's, there's no... And, and like... There are other moments in the song, and including the orchestral swells, that are very cool and very, like, nice musically. Yeah. That are built around the idea of, oh no, the band is calling me back to keep playing with them. What can I do? Oh, man. Yeah. Because he, he's like, he, he, he doesn't have any time to spend with his beloved, you know? like Right. And, like, tough. in theory, in theory, that's a fine sentiment. And if you're, like, you know, a, a struggling, starving artist who's, like, still really caring about his his craft and like hey if i don't make this record i don't eat that's one thing <laughs> but when you're a member of kiss and yeah. you're writing this song this is like this is a note that you slip under the door to get to the police <laughs> yeah i can only you're being held hostage by your band members at this point i can only imagine that gene and the management's uh worked the hell out of the band and made them constantly record and tour and yeah, like, uh, and Peter Chris did eventually leave the band too. So there's mm -hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they came back for a reunion tour with the original lineup, but then even after that, now Ace Frehley and Peter Chris are no longer in Kiss. Yeah, and they've escaped. Thank God they have escaped. Because if if Beth has taught me anything, it's that being a part of Kiss was a fucking nightmare for Peter Chris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, musically, this song is fine. It's a cute little ballad, and the orchestral swells in it work really well, and I can totally understand how this song took off as, like, not just, hey, this is a weird Kiss song, but this is also, like, a really solid, pretty good Peter Chris song. Yeah. But, like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, the content. <laughs> I Yeah, I actually like, really like this song. I think it's really pretty. Um, it's kind of a shining beacon in this album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Again, like, the the problem that I have with it is that it's just so, like, it's right there and in your face. And I think this probably wouldn't have happened to me if I had heard this song before sitting down and, like, actually trying to do a real-ass review of the album. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I had heard, heard this on the radio and just, like, heard it every once in a while and not really cared about the lyrics, I would have been like, oh, yeah, Beth, that's a really nice song. That's a really pretty song. <laughs> yeah. But, like, when I'm sitting down and I'm like, Oh, hey, uh, like, I listened to it once, like, okay, cool, this is, I mean, this is a nice departure from all the other Kiss stuff, and then I sit down again and, like, read the lyrics, and I'm like, oh my god, someone help him! Yeah, oh god, yeah. Like, <laughs> someone please take care of Peter Chris. <laughs> yeah, he, he needed help, and he got out, so, there you go. Yeah, it, oh, it, it's, 
like, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that you can't write songs where you're writing about how tired you are of the road or how this stuff is a little bit tough to do. But, like, a lot of those songs also have, like, an undercurrent of, but, you know, I still fucking love this job. Yeah, this one sounds like he wants out. <laughs> right, like, Bob Seger's Silver Bullet Band, like, turn the Turned page. The page yeah. That's about, that's, the life on the road is fucking terrifying and empty a lot of the time but when i get up on the stage i am empowered and i have those moments and then i have to go back to that emptiness yeah like there's at least that moment of cool but i still love to be here yeah that's a great Peter song chris is very upset yeah <laughs> yeah like this the line what can i do just tells it all right just like the the really like swell and emotional point of beth what can i do yeah Oh my god, Peter Chris, <laughs> I want to help you. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Yeah, so sorry to get like a real, like, no. real-ass digression into Beth. Yeah. Because <laughs> in general, it's still a really pretty song, and it's still a really good radio song. And I think it, it's it's one of the best put-together songs, and it's it's fine musically. But like, you, like, in amidst all this other, like, cruft on the album, Beth stands out as like the most genuine heartfelt message and to have that message be please get me out of kiss <laughs> god yeah <laughs> like that that's really heavy resonating yeah especially when it's followed up by do you love me oh man this song is not a well-written cry for help no this is a shopping list with a moral staple on. <laughs> yeah so this is a paul stanley song singing as kind of an appeal to a groupie that he's with uh who loves the money of the cars and everything but he's asking well do you love me or do you just love all this stuff which is kind of a thing and you could see this rock yeah. star feeling but at the same time the answer is like no yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the answer is no because it's like my dude you don't have that much else yeah <laughs> like in this song about do you love me or do you love all this stuff i have the vast majority of the song is talking about all the stuff that he has yeah it's it's like subtly it's like a humble brag you know it's like i have everything that anybody could ever want including lots of money fancy cars and a swimming pool <laughs> but like do you care about me <laughs> you get the feeling that if the answer were no he'd just be like all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a whole lot and of emotional weight to it because he has plenty of yeah. groupies, like infinite women at his <laughs> right. disposal. But yeah, uh, it's, it's, I kind of yeah. love this song just because my friends and I have this thing we do when we listen to it where we sing backup vocals. So it'll go like, "Do you love me? No. Do you love me? No. Do you love me?" Do you love me? No. <laughs> we just add the no. And I really want to record a version like that. I, I always have been talking about it, but never did it. But it's very that good. That sounds so good. Because it feels like a complete thought. Yeah. Which this song really is. Because this isn't one where literally the chorus is just the title four times. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. There's also a line in this that I think is a good way to close off this review uh, <laughs> that's very thematic. <laughs> Uh, sure. But he's listing, like, you like blank and blank. He says, you like my seven-inch leather heels. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> you just had to get a dick joke. You can't not have a dick joke in there, right? Like It's so, like, it's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> 
everything about this album is rote, and it's all <laughs> doing it just for like, hey, bands do this, right? We should do this. Yeah. And okay, the the very last track is it's a hidden track on the original album. Right. It's been labeled Rock and Roll Party. Yeah. It's it's a minute and twenty five seconds of nothing. Yep. See, on the version like, that I have, I I own this the CD. It's a uh, it's just um, attached to the to Do You Love Me, so I didn't realize yes. that was a thing. It's in some digital versions that are updated. It's listed as something else, and I'm I don't know why exactly that happens. But <laughs> I mean, they, it's fine as this is an intro or outro, right? I mean, like just some ambience kinda... to close it out. I don't know. Yes and no, because it feels okay. So the the biggest like use of this kind of thing for a weird ambient or noise sort of outro is it's the Beatles, right? Yeah. Cuz Kiss uh, is the Beatles. Awesome. We figured this out. Right, right. <laughs> so it's uh, I I'm going to feel like a fool if I get this wrong. It's the end of Sgt. Pepper's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Day in the Life. Yeah, where yeah. they at the very end of the day of the Day in the Life, on the original vinyl pressing there was an a groove on the outside that had this really weird garbled sort of bunch of clips stitched together at the same time yeah. and then it had a little error so that it would instead of finishing off the record it would loop back onto that so it would just loop yeah forever. and like that's i mean that's that took some thought yeah <laughs> it, it's it's still noise it's still garbled it's still sort of a mess but like it it had a purpose uh-huh. and it had like some sort of intention i guess yeah this feels so much more like Hey, remember that thing that albums have sometimes? We should have that. Yeah, yeah, sure. And this is <laughs> everything that Kiss is. <laughs> everything about Kiss is. Remember that thing that real bands do? We should do that. Yeah. Well, that's all true. For what it's worth, I do really enjoy this album. I can't lie. <laughs> and that's fine. I can't, like, here's the, here's the thing. At the heart of all music reviews... There should never be a message that says you can't enjoy this album or this album is unenjoyable. Yeah, I mean, we try to, we kind of made this our mission statement before we started this whole thing. It's like, we're going to try right. to find the good in these albums, whether we like them or not. Yeah, and I... I think we did I, that. We, Yeah, and we both admitted we liked, each of us for this episode, liked a different one of the two albums that were set in front of us. Yeah. I liked Trace Ombres more, you liked Destroyer more. Yes. And there are no, like, both of these are just... Pretty okay, mostly all right, classic rock albums. Yeah. But we found what we liked in them. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff that we that one of us liked and the other one didn't, it might have drove driven the other one crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't, like, it's fine. Everything is for somebody. And as long as it's not hurting anybody, because there is a difference for that. Yeah. If something's hurting somebody, you need to talk about it. Yep. But, like, if it's not hurting anybody, who gives a shit? It's music. It's supposed to be fun for somebody, right? Yeah, that's what the I think we we made this podcast to talk about all these renowned, famous albums, and we knew we yeah. weren't gonna like some of them, and some of them were just yeah. gonna be okay. And so far, these this is kind of the first ones for us. I think that we were just like you know pretty lukewarm on or worse, and yeah, uh, but we you know we find the good in them, and I I you know we had a good time, right? <laughs> At what? At and you worst, know these albums are only thirty minutes long, so there you fucking go. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not that bad. I, di- I didn't waste a considerable m- amount of my time trying to dig through Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> and at worst, it's party rock. It's doesn't go anywhere, but like, 
he doesn't have to. Yeah. Kiss knows what it's about. And if I try and, like, measure Kiss up against any of the other, like, actual heavy metal bands that I like, I'm gonna get frustrated. Yeah. So, the point is to just not do that thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not trying to be that. Yeah. So, those are our thoughts on Trace Hombres and Destroyer. It was a ride. It was an emotional journey. Tell us what you thought or think about these albums, because I'm sure... These are, these are albums people have heard, or at least heard songs from. Uh, <laughs> t- tell us what you thought. Listen to them, maybe, if you want. They're fun. They are fun. Yep. Next time, we'll be reviewing New Day Rising by Husker Du, which I might not be... We'll find out how it's pronounced when we do it. <laughs> and She's So Unusual by Cindy Lauper, which I'm super excited to review. So, yeah, join us next time. And if you like the show and want to hear more of it, you can find us on opalnebula.com. New episodes are supposed to drop every Wednesday. And they should. <laughs> they should. Yes. Now that, now that we're back into the swing of things, yep, yep, yep. it should work 2017, out. 2017, Album Club 500, baby. It's our year. Let's go. <laughs> My name's in the name of the year, so... Right, right. Yeah. It's your team. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, join us next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.